This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the special Saturday edition focusing on political resignations and the ongoing class about Nadim Zahawi. I'm joined today by Fraser Nelson, the editor of The Spectator, and Mark Oten, the former Liberal Democrat MP, who himself was involved in a resignation matter some 10 years ago. Fraser, first of all, tell us where we're at with the Nadim Zahawi story. Well, right now, we had Rishi Sunak, who first of all said that there were no more questions to answer in Nadim Zahawi's story when he appointed him chairman of the party, but now says there are questions to answer and put him to an investigation. It transpires that somebody didn't tell Rishi Sunak the whole story about Nadim Zahawi. Now, number 10 is saying basically this was the officials, they gave him a clean bill of health, and that he, Rishi Sunak didn't know that his chairman had had to pay a fine to customs and excise. Now, the investigation into that, we heard yesterday from the officials that you only pay a fine if you've done something wrong. A careless mistake, we're told, wouldn't be enough to necessitate a penalty. So Rishi Sunak is is subjecting his chairman to a short inquiry about what's happened and will make a decision after that. Now, the mid-music doesn't look very good for him. I don't know very many members of the government who don't think he's going to be fired at the end of this. But while the investigation drags on, you will pretty much every day see an iteration of a story in the papers. And the risk for the Conservatives is that all of this comes together to look like Tory sleaze. The word sleaze, perhaps unfair, is the word applied to John Major's government in the 90s. when, And it was taken to as a word which pieced together various scandals, some of them were sex scandals, some of them were bribes, etc. But it was just seen to be an exhausted party which is behaving in a way that you would not expect elected officials to do. And now the word is being applied to Rishi Sunak. Now, perhaps unfairly, because these things happened before he was party leader. We've also got Richard Sharp, you know, being asked questions about whether he arranged a loan for Boris Johnson before he became BBC chairman. But it raises the interesting question as to when somebody should resign. Mm. Rishi Sunak should, could, of course, say, right, I've heard enough of this. I want you to go now before the investigation. He probably thinks that would be um, prejudicing the result of inquiry. It also isn't with Nadim Zahawi's power to resign as chairman, saying, I want to step down while my name is cleared. This is another device which politicians can use. But I think that Zahawi firmly believes that he is guilty of nothing other than a careless mistake and certainly nothing which should cost him his cabinet's career. So we're entering the territory, quite familiar territory. At what stage does a party leader ask somebody to resign? At what stage do a politician resign from his job? At what stage is this cowering to the mob, Mm. who always seek to magnify and exaggerate politicians' wrongdoings? And at what stage do you have to read the room and work out that for better or worse, your days are numbered? And Mark, you were involved in one of these when there's a lot of pressure to resign, to quit, etc. Just remind us, remind our listeners about what that was like at the time and the details of the affair you were involved in. So I'd been involved in a sex scandal. I was having an affair and I didn't know at the time that the, the news of the world had hacked my phone and they had this. So from my perspective, I woke up on a Saturday morning having just quit the leadership race for the Liberal Democrats, thinking my life could get back to normal and discover journalists outside my house. So I think there are two or three types of scandals. There's ones which brew over a long period of time, and then there are others that are suddenly, if you like, 
exposed very quickly and the individual in my case is in a state of shock and so your decision on whether or not to resign is to some extent dependent on how far down the process the scandal is allowed to go now you know fraser talks about the decision whether to resign or not very matter of fact from a political perspective let me tell you what it's like on the inside when you're facing that storm your mind is in chaos particularly if it's been sprung on you very fast you have the nightmare of trying to handle family and friends and children you don't quite know what's coming next events can tumble out of control extremely fast and you have a mental health issue as well so going through the mind of any politician is actually have they got the strength mentally to fight this out do they just want to get it over and done with quickly because this is something which is affecting their their health it's affecting their family their house is surrounded so there are political calculations but there are personal calculations that you have to put into the factor as well and mark i was wondering how much is the because of course with a politician isn't sure the politician may want to resign but sometimes the party leader or the powers that be might say, for heaven's sake, don't. You yourself may want to run for cover. We understand you're going through trauma right now. But if you do, it'll be worse for you. And let's face it, the worse for the party as well. So normally, are these decisions taken you know, in concert with a party leader or something like this? I mean, in my particular case, I resigned within an hour because I was just in a state of shock and I just needed to get out of this situation as quickly as I could. And I, and I didn't want to have something dragging on. So I informed the party and told them that was my decision. And it wasn't, frankly, any of their business, whether they tried to persuade me differently. But look, the stakes are higher when it comes to the current government. And you're talking about a Conservative Party chairman and a prime minister. I think one of the interesting issues here is the the moral compass that the prime minister themselves sets. Now, you mentioned John Major. He talked about Victorian values. And the minute that he mentioned that, the pressure was on him to actually sack people. Rishi Sunak has talked about a new era of integrity in politics. So the pressure he's put on himself and his ministers by using that phrase. Boris Johnson, well, you know, we didn't really expect him to want to sack anybody because we knew just how he acted himself. He wasn't putting himself on in that moral high ground. So to some extent, it's a chance of luck for the politician that's done something wrong whether they fall under the premiership who's somebody who has taken the moral high ground or somebody who's not actually made those kind of statements about what they expect from their ministers. And in the case of Nadim, he's unfortunate, if you like, because I don't think he would have been in this kind of trouble under Boris Johnson or even Liz Truss. You mentioned a good point there, Mark, which is about timing. And this whole row has been dragging on now for a number of days. It used to be said, Alistair Campbell, if you're in the newspapers for more than 11 days running, it was time to go. Fraser, do you think in some ways this is the sort of worst of both worlds for Nadim Zahavi and the party and that he's he's still there and he, he might go, he might not, etc. But at this point, the damage is kind of done. Well, certainly the damage is being done on a daily basis. And the issue is exactly as Mark has just said, that if you set a bar of integrity in politics, I mean, John Major, for example, the problem with him was he was seen to be holding up new standards of family values, etc. Now, people didn't know at the time he was having an affair with Edwina Curry. But there was certainly, once you do that, there's a greater scrutiny applied to your personal life. And Mark, I think with you, I mean, you say that the, the papers had this the story of you for quite some time, but only when you ran for party leader 
that was when all of a sudden you became interesting enough for somebody to investigate. So do you think that, that that's that's the fact here, that the stories and scandals, if you want to call it that, that might be relatively uninteresting one moment, become interesting when all of a sudden there's a new party leader talking about integrity in politics. And that might say, OK, well, let's subject all of your politicians to that test. In your case, when you want to become party leader, I think people will be asking questions uh, which they weren't of you. I would think of your subsequent party leader, Tim Farron. Now, he spent much of the 2019 election being asked if he thought that gay sex was sinful, a question he couldn't answer because I think his answer was yes. I think that's it, but he didn't want to say that because he's head of a Liberal Party. So it seems that there become times now where the, the test becomes a lot higher. Either the party leader starts talking about integrity or the politician in question starts to run for, for high office. There is um, a complex equation of X, Y, Z, and you put it together and you get a scandal. Now, for that equation to result in a scandal, you need the person to be prominent enough. And so why throw away a story if you can hang on to it for a longer period for that person to become more interesting? That's the first equation factor that needs to be put in. The second is if you can throw an element of hypocrisy in. And in my case, I was married to a woman, but I had an affair with a guy. So you've got somebody who'd become more prominent. Then you've got the hypocrisy factor. And then thirdly, there is the, the timing issue. In my case, the Lib Dems were going through a period where it made sense to have a discussion about liberal scandals, Charles Kennedy, had resigned because he was drunk. Simon Hughes had his own sex scandal. I had my sex scandal. So you put a combination together of timing, how well you're known, whether there's hypocrisy, and that's the point at which the scandal can take off. Without some of those elements, it's not interesting. It doesn't become news. And I think it's interesting when, if you imagine, you know, I know of loads of scandals around Westminster that never hit the press because they don't meet that criteria. But who decides that criteria is a very small number of people around what used to be called Fleet Street. Right. But Mark, around about the same time that you resigned, a Tory MP, Greg Barker, he was married to a woman, um, he had an affair with a man, and eventually left his wife and, and took up with a man. Now, at the time, I remember there was a headline, I think, in the, in the mail saying, Tories rocked by sex scandal. But the consensus there was it wasn't particularly a sex scandal. It's, um, and from memory, I don't know if I've got a false memory here, but I don't remember being this anything like as controversial as, as what happened to you. Look, when you're in that position, you deal with it yourself. And the important thing about it is to survive that. You, you mustn't get angry or cross. You have to just come to terms with it. But when I look back, I do wonder why mine was such a huge story on the front pages of papers for as long as it was, given that I actually resigned within an hour. So I think it was that at the time, Greg Barker's story didn't fit a pattern, but my story did fit a pattern. The Liberal Democrats are in, in trouble. Charles Kennedy's drinking, Simon Hughes, Mark Oden. And I think what's interesting now is that there's a pattern that things are falling out of control for Richie Sunak. And so this story fits nicely into that pattern. Taken in an isolated case, if you look back at maybe John Prescott, what happened with his secretary there, there wasn't a pattern. It didn't it didn't link in to a narrative. I linked into a narrative at the time. And I think the current conservatives are entering into that narrative period. And what's fascinating is if Rishi Sunak can break that cycle, because once you get into these cycles, the other scandals that are there bubbling away, suddenly 
find a chance to hit the front pages because they link in to the pattern. You said about the narrative as well. I mean, money is a real problem, I think, for Rishi Sunak, right, in terms of maybe a bit of a blind spot here, Fraser. And with the new Deem Zawi, do you think that's kind of raising those issues with voters again about the Tories being out of touch, not getting it? These sums involved are quite alien to most people. Yeah, and I think this is part of the Tory problem, that the money is becoming a theme. We've got the Prime Minister's wife, for example, um, has, like Nadim Zahawi, made a voluntary contribution to the taxpayer. She didn't do it. There's no suggestion she did anything wrong. But her non-DOM status became controversial, and she wished to neutralise this. She retains her status, but she now pays tax as if she were a domiciled British citizen. But that was... I mean, that was information that was dragged out from the Sunaks by the media. And that was at the time when he was Chancellor. Of course, if, you, if you're Chancellor of the Exchequer, this does take on an extra... And of course, to, to a non-dom status is controversial. Labour are going to get rid of it. So you start from that position. You've also got the fact that around the Conservative Party cabinet, you've got the richest bunch of people who have ever governed this country in a democracy. We've had, um, even in the days of aristocratic prime ministers, you never had anybody who was richer than the king. And we do have that in the Sunak family now. You've got Zahawi, he's incredibly rich. He's um, set up founder of YouGov. And there are sums of like £15 million pounds that we're hearing about here. He, he wrote a £5 million cheque to the Inland Revenue. That, that sounds just, to most voters, just staggering sums of money. Remember also that this is against the backdrop of the cost of living crisis. So as you rightly said, this issue is about money, but it's at a time when many, many people are struggling with money. So those figures are unreal to them. And that, I think, is this, this real sense that this government don't understand how hard it is for people to currently live. And this just exaggerates that problem. And that problem is going to, going to get worse because we've got Boris Johnson's resignation honours list coming up soon. Now, there are rumours in Westminster that that's going to have a whole bunch of names that are going to be problematic for Rishi Sunak. Now, of course, it's cronyistic. The whole resignation honour system is cronyistic. You get people who've been your, you know, relatively lowly positions for the prime minister get get honoured. It's sort of almost medieval in its uh, sort of form of favouritism. Now, that was very embarrassing for David Cameron. I imagine Liz Truss's resignation honours list will be also quite embarrassing as, as well. But by the time the prime minister who made that list doesn't care. They're finished. They're out of the door. But nothing more, worse can go wrong for them. So this, I think, from now on, anything which looks... I mean, the, the problem, by the way, of rich people in politics is not that anybody resent their wealth. In this country, I don't think that really happens. We kind of salute and admire entrepreneurs who, who make money by themselves. But with wealth tends to come imaginative ways of minimising one's tax exposure. Things that are perfectly legal, but still strike the taxpayer as a little bit dodgy. And when those things are exposed, shall we say, again, no criminality, but they don't pass the smell test. And that is the problem I think the Conservatives are increasingly going to face. Mark, just a sort of final question just to ask. I mean, you obviously, you said you resigned now when it happened to you. But I mean, a lot of these politicians really tend to dig their heels in and, and prolong this for sort of weeks. Why did not more of them, for instance, look at the example of Mark Harper, who was an immigration minister and was found to have hired um, an illegal immigrant as, as his cleaner and resigned and was obviously back within the government within the year? I mean, surely that should be a model for more of them, right? It is extraordinary, isn't it? Because I don't know how they have got the the guts, if you like, to, to stomach it and to put up with it because their house will be surrounded. They will be getting angry constituents. They will be getting endless, frosty reception from people that they used to regard as friends, 
you know, this is one of those occasions when you really find out who your friends are. And a lot of their old mates around politics will not want to be seen with them. They won't, don't want to be associated with them. So, you know, you have to be pretty thick skinned to be able to see all of that through, particularly when you know the likelihood at the end of it is that you're going to have to resign. Now, is it ego? Is it a lack of self-awareness? I suspect there's an element of that going on. In a few cases, people will just not understand what they did wrong. They will have actually, as many people do when they lie or, or do things, they, you know, they assimilate that themselves. So they don't actually realize what they've done is wrong. So there will be an element of that taking place. Why should I resign? I've done nothing wrong because they've come to terms with what they did themselves. And their own moral compass is very different from the general public's. But, but Mark, going back to you, you called your book Screwing Up. That sort of suggests that you did something wrong, but did you? Um, yeah, I did. Because I committed adultery and I caused heartache for a lot of my family. Did I do anything which would in any way whatsoever affect my ability to be a good constituency MP or be a shadow home secretary? No, I don't think I particularly did. But in moral compass terms, I felt I failed. I screwed up myself I screwed up a lot of other people so yeah you know I acknowledge it because I did do something wrong my life is happier now thank god almost as a result of that is it in the public interest to have exposed me we've had that discussion so many times haven't we about scandals that's something you can debate but ultimately it's down to the individual themselves to work out whether they think what they've done is is wrong and whether or not they should resign in this case that decision is taken out of the hands of the individual because you have high political stakes. So either they have to decide it themselves or either somebody else has to decide it for them. In the case of Nadim, it seems that neither is prepared to take that decision, neither the prime minister nor the Conservative Party chairman. They can't make that decision at the moment. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening to Coffee House Shots. Coffee House Shots.